This morning we read two passages from the Lord's Word, starting with Leviticus 23, verses 6 to 8, found on page 191. On the 15th day of that month, the Lord's Feast of Unleavened Bread begins. For seven days you must eat bread made without yeast. On the first day, hold a sacred assembly and do no regular work. For seven days, present an offering made to the Lord by fire. And on the seventh day, hold a sacred assembly and do no regular work. And then 1 Corinthians 5, verses 6 to 8, found on page 1,776. Your boasting is, no, is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast that you may be a new batch without yeast, as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival, not the old yeast, the yeast of malice and wickedness, but the bread without yeast, the bread of sincerity and truth. So reads the word of the Lord. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this time of worship where we could sing praises, we can pray, we can hear a children's message, we can confess our sins, we can hear words from you that remind us that we are forgiven, where we hear words that call us to be holy as you are holy. Lord, may this this whole time of worship sink deep inside of our hearts and souls and minds to shape us, to form us more and more into the people, the church you're calling us to be. And I pray that the words which will be spoken next, may they be your words and not mine. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Carl de Souza is a Christian messianic rabbi. He and his wife Kristen love this feast of unleavened bread, a feast where all week long they eat bread like this, bread with no yeast, but, but it starts off the day before where, where Kristen will hide a, a piece of yeast wrapped in a linen cloth. And she'll hide it someplace in the house. So the feast starts the next day, and the first thing in the morning, the kids get up and they're excited, and, and they get mom and dad up, and, and they go hunting through the house for, for that piece of yeast. And then when they find it, they carry it out together outside, and, and they throw it into a garbage can at the edge of their property. And then they go in and they clean the house, but... But the kid who found the piece of yeast gets a special gift. 
And, and Carl and, and Kristen say, this feast is special to them as a family because it's a reminder for seven days as they eat that bread of who God's calling them to be. Uh, Carl says this, this feast began first as a, as a feast to remind people to, to be ready to respond to God and, and to kind of carry uh, their, their burdens and, and to carry their wants and desires lightly. Because when you bake bread with yeast, it also becomes heavier as it gets filled with the gases and the air from the yeast. But you also have to take time, and you have to wait. And then you're not able to respond as quickly to, to God if you're constantly waiting for your stuff, for, for your desires, for your wants to kind of work their way out. So as a family, one week a year, they sit down at the table, and they break bread, and they share it with each other, and because it's tied with the Passover, they also remind each other you know, of who God is as their protector, as their father. Now the Feast of Unleavened Bread is, is one of three feasts in the Bible that call for the people to all come to Jerusalem. Now, in practice, you didn't go every year, but... But you tried to go at least every few years at the, uh, during this feast to go to Jerusalem to, to celebrate with everybody else this amazing feast. Moses tells the people in Deuteronomy 16, you know, three times a year all your men must appear before the Lord your God at the place he will choose, at the festival of unleavened bread, the festival of weeks, and the festival of tabernacles. No one should appear before the Lord empty-handed. So they would, they would prepare this bread beforehand and they would then travel to Jerusalem and they would bring their bread and they would put it on the altar or give it to the priest to put it on the altar in the temple. They realized that this was about sacred, about soul-searching, soul-shaping God moments. It's about remembering the work of God in their lives. But not only in their own personal lives, but in the lives of his people as a whole. And, and God puts all these festivals in place so that there's a rhythm through the year of constantly remembering who God is and their relationship with God. And Carl says... Point quickly. Point quickly to the fact that Jesus is the bread of life. Don't wait till the end of the sermon. He says, bring it in right away. Because the yeast, the, the feast turned from, from being about being ready and, and about being able to respond quickly to, to being about purity, to, to being about about being yeast-free. And yeast began to, as Darren read, about malice and about wickedness and about evil. So 
So this bread, the festival began to be more about who we are as people, about, about who we are as God's people, about getting rid of that yeast, of, of carrying it outside our, the, the, the house of our hearts and, and putting it far away and, and, and then doing that cleaning inside as well. And he said, if somebody tells you that that sounds way too much like works righteousness, tell them, hey, look, Jesus washes you clean, but it's like a kid who gets washed clean. As soon as you let them out the bathtub, bathtub, they're out running again, getting dirty all over again. So we need to be constantly washed and cleansed. Now, even Jesus said for his disciples, you know what? I'm only going to wash your feet because your bodies are washed, but, but your feet still need to be washed. There's this constant reminder that, like on Monday morning, how your heart can just get filled with something that you don't really want there. And, and it reminded me that, you know what? My family, my brothers and I, my father, we all struggle with anger. We struggle with pride. And we struggle with frustration. And, and, and we've learned to control it through life and everything else, but, but it sneaks up on you unexpectedly. And then you've got to go through that whole process again of saying, God, I wish I was more in control of myself. I wish I didn't have this anger and this hatred in me. And I can't get rid of it. I need your help. But I got to do my part too. And that's, that's what this is getting at. You know, in, in Exodus 12, we're told, for seven days you're to eat bread made without yeast. You know, remove that yeast from your house. For whoever eats anything with yeast in it from the first day through the seventh, you got to be cut off from Israel. That's how serious God takes it. It's how serious God takes sin is that, that he says, you know, you got to be cut off. You've got to be put outside the house. You've got to be put outside the camp. Now, later on, they, they used to put it all on the goat, all the sins, and then they shoo the goat out into the wilderness. God's not fooling around. Jesus reminds us how yeast works in the parable of Matthew. You know, the kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed about 60 pounds of flour with it until it worked all through the dough. It doesn't take a lot of yeast to make a whole lot of difference. I always feel bad for yeast because without yeast... You know, it's, it's different. Your, your bread's different. Your, your baking's different. But being a baker for 16 years, I was also amazed at how little yeast it took. But as my boss would sometimes make his own yeast, you know, it's bacteria. It is actually, you're introducing something into the dough that shouldn't be there. So it's like a disease, bacteria, and it just kind of grows and grows and grows. And it affects, become bigger and bigger and bigger until it can pop a, a hood off of a trunk of a car. Jesus compares the teachings of the Pharisee to yeast. 
And I always felt sorry for the Pharisees because they get a raw deal. Because they were working so hard to kind of be Israel's representatives before God, trying so hard not to sin. And yet, they focused so hard on the law, they forgot about God so often. But it reminded me as well that, like I said, it only takes a little bit. One pastor writes, We tell ourselves that things like greed or lust or addiction or even something like persistent perfectionism where you can't accept anything without criticism is really no big deal. And yet these things continue to grow and grow in us, slowly poisoning our hearts and minds, breaking relationships. When we're honest, most of our sin is deep inside our hearts. It's not something we kind of do out where everybody can see. And the secretness of it makes it so dangerous. Because it affects our relationships with each other. It affects our relationship with God. And yet, our friends and our, our spouses, our family, they'll know something's off and yet, they won't have a clue about what it is as we wrestle with those secret sins. Every book I read on secret sin started off with pornography. And I know I've mentioned it lots off the pulpit, but that's because it is so pervasive in our society. And a lot of people will say, you know what, it's not that bad, it's not wrong. In fact, in Quebec, it's actually perfectly fine as part of the culture, or it has become part of the culture. And yet study after study after study shows how it just poisons the relationships between men and women. And that's what secret sin does. It leads us to see other people as things to use rather than as brothers and sisters. Cheating others, maybe as a businessman, you add a markup or one car mechanic and In Montreal, just down the street from where ours was, he got closed down because he was overcharging everybody and he was charging for work that he hadn't done. And finally he got caught. But we'll also maybe kind of fudge the numbers a little bit on our income tax because, hey, it's the government. They got lots of our money already anyway. But it just kind of feeds that little bit of greed that kind of sits there that says, you know what, you deserve, you deserve what you can get. Envy or jealousy makes it hard to have a positive relationship. Anger, lust, deceit are all used by Satan to make us feel better about ourselves and to look down on other people. Sometimes it'll even lead us to a point where we want to hurt someone. 
See, sin slowly destroys us from the inside out. So having a godly friend or, or mentor is so important in our faith lives. So we have somebody we can share this stuff with before it gets out of control. On Monday, I had two people sitting across the table from me that said, hey, I understand why you're so angry. But remember, they don't know better. They've never been taught better. It's way too much a part of our culture. I feel sorry for them rather than anger and rage. Feast of Unleavened Bread points us to a trust in God. A trust to, that he'll protect us. He'll protect us from the worst of our sin. There's going to be consequences, but it can always be worse. Minds us to, it's not taken lightly to say, you know what, our relationship with God and each other is way too important to, to mess around with, with this hidden stuff inside. And God wants to free us from those chains of sin. Yeast is a symbol of decay. People would take a small lump of it and, and uh, of today's dough to start tomorrow's batch of bread. And it would continue on for quite a while until the yeast would use its, lose its power and, and then you would throw it out and you'd start off by making new yeast and, and, and start the whole process all over. And, and after the Israelites left Egypt, that's what, G, that's what God wanted from, from his people. He wanted them to have a new start inside. He wanted to, to pull them away from the gods of Egypt and, and from that identity of, of being slaves to, to, to only looking to him and trusting in him for, for their guidance, for their protection, for, for their identity. We touched on that whole identity stuff last week already. But God wants us to be free. Being free from slavery is a, is a call to get rid of the decay in our lives that sin, bring, sin brings. And Jesus' blood washes away our sin on the cross. But that doesn't mean we don't have a role to play. We're called to work hard at identifying the sin in our lives and, and working to clean it out. Even a little sin draws us away from Jesus. And that's why this feast is so important. You know, it takes Jesus coming from heaven, becoming human just like us, to break down that sin inside of us. The cross and the empty grave remind us of the heavy cost of our sin to Jesus. And yet he knows how helpless we can be in the power of our sin. And this is why he not only washes our sins away, he also sent us the Holy Spirit to give us the strength and the wisdom to recognize our own sin and to look deep inside of our hearts, the strength to fight against it, to do our role in keeping our hearts and lives clean of sin. You see, sins like mold get little water damage in your house and and and. 
That mold will start slow, but, but it'll steadily grow until it kind of creeps all over the place. And then the, the spores start going into, into the air. And, and, and before you know it, it's inside of you as well. We noticed that in our first house in Stony Plain where there was mold. And, and our grandson, you know, he already has COPD and, and Joyce has asthma. But, but they're always coughing and they can never quite breathe well. And then we moved into our second home in Stony, and it was amazing how that all cleaned up and cleared up. That's, that's like sin inside of our hearts. When we minimize the sin in us, it has the ability to change us, to break our relationships. This feast is a call to act on that stuff inside of us. Stuff that we allow to pollute our minds and our hearts and relationships. See, what we put into our heads, into our hearts, affects who we are. Fill your your head, your heart with violence, lust, or greed through what you watch or read, and it shapes you. Surround yourself with people who are greedy or arrogant or selfish or cruel, angry or, or bitter or sarcastic, users of others, and guess who you're going to become? Jesus is buried on the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It's a reminder that our sins are buried with Jesus in the grave and and how our sin is left there when Jesus rises up into new life. It's a call to clean up our act. And we start by coming to God like King David did and, and say, search me, O God, know my heart. You're asking God to show you the sin that sits inside of you. And it's not easy and it's not always pleasant. See, we so easily fool ourselves into thinking we're a whole lot better than we are. That's what I got reminded of. It's about being honest. Honest with ourselves and the influence of sin in us. And inviting Jesus into those places of our heart that we wish weren't there. Those places we really don't want them to see. This is confession stuff. Saying sorry isn't enough. It needs to be followed by repentance. And that means we've got to change. Changing the stuff in our heads and hearts and lives. And it's something we do. Just like Carl and Christina's family, they go searching through the house. They find the yeast, take it out, and then they still scrub the house down. We do the same thing in our lives. But that takes humility. And we can't do it by ourselves. That's why we have the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit in our hearts to shape our lives, our, our minds, our ways of thinking, to root out the sin that's in us. It involves filling our minds with what is good and beautiful, with Jesus and his words and his example. It's also about inviting others into friendships and relationships of accountability, where we give them permission to tell us straight out where we are walking against Jesus and going our own way instead of his. It's about looking to our friends, And saying, you know what? Can you help me be more kind, more generous, more forgiving, more grace-filled? 
And if they won't, and saying, I got to surround myself by people who will help me to be that. It looks like being a mentor to someone else, helping them become who God's created them to be, become who Jesus carried their sin into the grave for. So many of you have so much life wisdom to share. I invite you, invest in somebody. Invest the hard lessons of life that you've learned. Invest in them the grace that you've experienced from God. Invest in them the love that God's poured into you through Jesus and let it pour out into someone else. Don't keep it to yourselves. Jesus calls us in Leviticus to be holy as he's holy. That's what the Feast of Unleavened Bread is all about. Sounds strange to our ears in this time to to talk about shaping our lives around holiness. And yet that's what so many people are looking for, even if they don't recognize that word anymore. So many people I meet who don't know Jesus yet, they want to be different. They want to be better. They want to make a difference. That's why we're here. To help them know that they can have a clean heart again. They can have a new start. They can know good. And they can become beloved saved, washed, clean children of God. It starts by us inviting them to follow Jesus with us. Amen. Father, sin is hard stuff. It's hard to talk about, it's hard to admit. It's hard to slow down and take a look in our own lives and look at those places where we don't measure up. It's hard to get it stuck right in your face and be reminded of how much we need you. How much it cost your son. And yet you did it gladly. Your son took all that journey to the cross because he loves us so much. So Lord, may we also show that love. May we take that love and use it to purify our hearts and lives and then invite others to join us so that they might know that freedom. They might know what it means and feels like to be washed clean to have a new start. So use us, Lord. Use even us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.